go ahead, shake that jar of sprinkles and celebrate your role as a mom. I'm Stephanie Fleece with City Moms Blog Network, and my hope is that the next 40 minutes or so bring a smile to your face, a skip to your step, and a sprinkle or two to your mundane. This is Just Add Sprinkles, Celebrating Motherhood, a podcast by City Moms Blog Network. Hey everyone, I am really excited about today's episode of Just Add Sprinkles because it's a topic that hits very close to home for me, and that topic is picky eating. Like, insert horror uh, movie screams. <laughs> like, truthfully, this is a struggle, if I'm being honest, in our home. And dare I say, I don't just have one picky eater. I have two picky eaters. So two-thirds of my children, I would say, are picky eaters. And so every day, this is a subject that is on my heart and on my mind, which is the very reason why we're bringing it to you today. In my personal search for resources on picky eating, one of the very best resources that I found on the topic is called Helping Your Child with Extreme Picky Eating by Dr. Katia Roel and Jenny McGoughlin. So I'm thrilled that of those two authors, Dr. Roel is our guest on today's podcast to talk with us about picky eaters. Dr. Katia Roel is a family doctor and childhood feeding specialist. She is also an expert in relational and responsive eating and happens to be an author and co-author of three books. So our conversation is incredibly enlightening and encouraging for all of us with picky eaters, myself included. So here's our conversation. Katia, welcome to the Just Add Sprinkles podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Gosh, and I am equally as excited, if not more excited, because this topic of picky eating is dear to my heart, not because I wanted it to be dear to my heart necessarily, but because it's where I found myself in. And I think many of our listeners uh, are probably feeling the same as I have um, over the years. And so uh, I would love to know before we kind of just jump into the topic of picky eating, I want to know a little bit about you and your family and how you got into the career that you find yourself in right now. Sure, sure. So I'm a family doctor by training. And so, you know, I did everything from delivering babies through hospice. And I I loved working with um, parents and young children. Um, But it wasn't until I had my own child that I found my way to this work. And, um, you know, and I think that's actually something that's important to mention right off the bat is that um, I thought I knew what I was doing as a family doctor um, around feeding. You know, I think that a lot of your parents, uh, a lot of moms out there are going to their pediatricians and family doctors and nurse practitioners, and they're asking for help with picky eating and eating problems. And it was really humbling that as as a clinician, you know, I was giving out advice when I really wasn't trained to. And I, and I think that's one thing that's so important mm-hmm. Um, just to sneak right in there in this question is if you're going to a doctor and they're blowing you off or they're saying, well, don't worry about it, or this is nothing. And your gut is saying no, or I'm struggling, or I really need help. Find that help. Because the sad truth is, is that a lot of um, physicians don't get any training in this topic. And so that was my reality. And then I had a child, um, 
And our uh, issue was a little different than picky eating. She um, loved to eat and I didn't know how to manage that and I was worried about eating disorders and weight problems and I didn't really know what to do. So as a parent, I found Ellen Satter's work and I actually trained with her and I read this, uh, her book called Child of Mine, which is still my number one sort of go-to resource. And within two weeks of instituting um, this division of responsibility and responsive feeding, it was a, it, like night and day in our home with our then toddler. And um, now she's 12 and I've just really seen um, the benefits over the years of, of uh, you know, learning this evidence-based um, or evidence-informed feeding style. Um, and she does well, you know, she still went through her picky stages. She was a typical kid, so we went through a lot of picky stages where she wouldn't eat bananas or eggs for six months at a time. <laughs> so, but I've, I had the information sort of armed going into that stage to know what to do. So um, I was blown away with the transformation in my own home and how powerful I think this information is. So I actually pivoted, and this has been my work now for the last about 10 years, really, to help families because I think that growing up for kids and when they can grow up to feel good and relate to food in a good way and their bodies, it's, it's to me, it's like pure preventive medicine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that idea of it being preventive medicine because you're so true in that like having a healthy understanding of food and our bodies on average and not just our ours as adults but you know and right. raising small children mm -hmm. truly that will set them up to have a much more healthy life like in the long term and so that's the overarching goal absolutely overarching goal for sure and it was so fascinating like reading all this research and and then when my two and a half year old who loves ice cream and mac and cheese and all the typical foods kids love, when she handed me an ice cream cone, half of it at sort of three and said, I'm full, I went, well, wait a minute, I can do this too. So I really looked into the research and I think it's fascinating how many adult women sort of come to this through their kids and say, well, okay, now I'm seeing children, we're really born with these skills around self-regulating, around knowing how to eat. And, and watching it with my kid from the beginning really inspired me to also sort of read more and, and um, heal some of my own eating issues, which I weren't too severe, but just it's just amazing what a transformation I think it can make oh, um, for the whole family. So. For sure. Well, that's super interesting. Uh, and I'll speak just to my experience in that I'm so glad that you mentioned uh, the general physicians likely not having a lot of training in this regard because while I have a fantastic pediatrician that I've loved for a long while, uh, I was definitely in the situation where this pediatrician was telling me like in my, um, what I know now is an extreme picky eating case was like, oh, it'll yeah. get better. You know, like, and every suggestion mm -hmm. that she'd give me, I'd try and it just wouldn't work. And it was so discouraging. Yeah. And, yeah. but, uh, we can't expect them to have all of that understanding because that's, that's a specialty kind of, um, um, work, I'm sure, to some extent. Yeah, I think to some extent, but also um, it's just not knowing what you don't know. And I think as a culture, we think that we know the answers, like, and you see this on forums. So parents, stay off of picky eating article, like discussions, because there's so much blaming and shaming. Mm -hmm. And you see these comments that say, well, just make them eat or just make them eat one bite 
or even expert articles. You know, there was one in particular that a group of us wrote a response to that said, you know, it's called being a good mom. You just make your kid eat a bite every night and it's like putting on a seatbelt, but it's not. The reality is that for, and this is getting to that difference of what's a picky eater versus an extreme picky yeah. eater. You know, a, a typical picky eater, you say you need to take a bite and they might do it and it might be, you know, some whining. I don't think it's particularly effective for even typical picky eaters, but with an extreme picky eater, you ask them to take that one bite and it's a 45 minute standoff or it's a panic attack or a meltdown. Mm. Um, and I think it's really cruel and it really is a disservice to parents to say, well, just make them eat a bite. And then, you know, but if I have to put my kid in a headlock to get that bite in, which some parents have done mm -hmm. because they're scared and they've been told mm -hmm. to, um, that's counterproductive. And so, um, I'm glad you're sharing your experience because so often we hear parents who are like, look, my kid's only eaten microwave bean burritos <laughs> and, you know, French toast fingers for six years. <laughs> and just because he's growing well doesn't mean that there's not a problem. And so I think, I think pediatricians and family doctors need to do so much better to educate themselves. And it's not that hard to even just learn a, a red, you know, kind of a checklist of, of what's typical, what's extreme, right. and then to refer parents to some good resources. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I'm going to just share a little bit about my family uh, because I think it'll be interesting for our listeners and probably for you, but I've got three girls. Uh, they're eight, six, and five now, and uh, I my extreme picky eater, which I mentioned earlier, is our first, and truthfully has been extreme picky eating pretty much from the beginning, and I thought there's something that I did wrong, like essentially, uh, and I, as you're mentioning the headlock, not that we ever did the headlock, I feel like we tried almost every option available to try to get this gal to this kid to eat more and on a more personal note uh, and I know you mentioned that uh, you have a daughter too I am fearful at, even to this day that I want my girls to have a healthy understanding of food because I know that eating disorders are prevalent in today's society and I don't I want them to feel comfortable coming to our table and for it to be a positive experience for them and to not grow up like from early on having this terrible like experience with food and so um, my extreme picky eater I had all of this going on in my mind right uh, and then our second mm -hmm. came along mm -hmm. and she eats everything she's like our foodie she <laughs> loves everything she nice. literally never puts up a fight about every anything she'll probably be a chef someday because she just loves great food so much like myself and then we've got our third and she I would say is a much more typical picky eater and I don't have like all of the checklists like you mentioned which I think we need to go into uh, but I the I've got the full spectrum of things going on um, right, and right. the good news is I felt to some extent like okay, uh, it's not entirely all my own doing. Like these are all just very no. unique kids right. because I've done everything yes. the same with them, but it takes unique strategies with each of them. And so uh, that all being said, I would love for you to dive in if you are cool with it uh, into more of the, what you mentioned, the checklist of like, what's a typical picky eater? What would be an extreme picky right. eater? And how do you deal with them differently? Right. Um, 
Well, and, and your story is very typical of what I hear too. Um, and and on, in some ways it's very reassuring, like, oh, it's not me, I've got a good eater and a, and a one who's really struggling. Um, it's such a combination of things and it's, it's it exists kind of on a continuum. And so, um, and also half of all kids are picky to some extent. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is not just America. Everyone sort of, oh, you lazy American moms. French moms do everything better, right? <laughs> um, no, there are actually, you know, a Danish study showed very similarly that about half of kids, even in Denmark, you know, are picky. Hmm. So it's a typical thing. Starts at about 15, 18 months. So, so I'm going to list sort of what a typical picky eater is. So they've often done pretty good up to about a year and a half. And then developmentally, they're developing their personalities and they're learning to say no, and they're learning to control their environment. So, um, and, and that's what they should be doing. So if we think about it in that way, of course they should reject or toss their less favorite food on the floor to see if they can get something they like better. <laughs> you know, that, that's part of developmentally what they should be yeah. doing. And so they might pitch a little fit. You know, my daughter, uh, one night I served brown rice and she whined about, she was about three and I like white rice better. I'm not eating that. She had an age appropriate kind of, uh, you know, opposition. I just sort of said, hey, you know, tonight we're having brown rice. I'm sorry you're upset. Tomorrow we'll have white rice again or next week, whatever it is. And she was able to calm herself down and eat other things. I don't remember if she had any brown rice or not. It's kind of irrelevant. Mm -hmm. um, but that's a typical picky eating scenario. So starts about a year, year and a half, ends probably around age six um, or so, you know, sort of early grade school years where they're less particular. And we think that some of it is protective, right? As the baby is 15, 18 months and starting to crawl or walk away from parents, we, we don't want them putting everything in their mouths because you know it might be dirt or a poison mushroom. So it, we think like in terms of um, just survival of the species that that serves a purpose. Mm. Um, so they have their favorites, you know, and they tend to be carbohydrates um, and tend to be sweeter foods and things that we think of as easier to like. Vegetables tend to be a little more challenging, but they tend to, a typical picky eater usually eats some fruits, some vegetables, some, you know, something of the different food groups. One thing I want to point out, it's, it's everyone seems to be so worried about protein. And so eating meat, um, so I'm, I'm kind of trying to throw in these little tips as I'm in my list yeah. as they come up. but. I hear parents all the time of like one and a half year olds say, I'm really worried she's not eating chicken. So I make chicken nuggets every night just to get some protein in her. But what parents don't know, and again, this is that education, just knowing, yeah. right? That they, children don't even have the molars or the adult chewing pattern till they're about three. So to expect them to eat like a broiled chicken breast or a piece of steak and to chew and grind that at a year and a half is not is not realistic. So a lot of times parents go, oh, I didn't know. I don't have to worry about them not eating, you know, a chicken breast. Sure. So you can make stewed meats or make them in ways that are easier to handle. But usually they'll eat something from all the different food groups and they'll eat some different textures that are age appropriate. Mm -hmm. Um, now they will drop foods, so they're going to love something for a while. My daughter, her second word was banana, was nana, but then she didn't eat it for about a year. Hmm. Now the key is you have to keep putting it in front of them. Um, and then suddenly she did eat it again. And so that's very typical too, where they'll drop foods that they used to like and they will refuse to eat them and toss them. 
um, but they often will pick up different foods. So it's not that the list is getting smaller and smaller, it's that things are falling out of favor and other things are coming in, um, with the caveat that those things are still being served. Another mistake I see parents make a lot, which is understandable, is the kid stops eating banana for a week and they, they sort of have this list in their heads and they go, oh, Susie doesn't like bananas anymore, and then they never see them again. Mm. And so if we do that with a typical picky eater who's going to go through those phases and reject foods um, and just never serve them again because we think they don't like them, that's a way that we can actually turn a picky eater, a typical picky eater, into a more extreme picky eater. And that can happen too. Mm. So, um, so that's kind of the, the way that we think of a typical picky eater is age appropriate, meltdown, foods come and go, eating from the different food groups. Now, an extreme picky eater, and you can tell me if from your experiences if this rings true after we go through the list, extreme picky eaters tend to have struggled from earlier on. So they may have had a problem with breast or bottle feeding, or they may have had problems transitioning to table or solid foods. Um, they tend, uh, they might not even have mouthed things. So if you have a baby where you're like, I never had even baby proof, they didn't suck their thumb or pull things in to explore with their mouth, that's, some, that's a sign that maybe there's something going on in terms of the sensory or that they're, they're not exploring with their mouths in a typical way. Mm. And we hear that a quite a fair amount. Um, so. Um, not sort of having that normal development until, or typical development until about a year, a year and a half. So they've kind of always struggled or always seemed low appetite, never seemed interested in food. And then we see anxiety as they get older. So they're anxious, they seem fearful around new foods. They're pitching a fit that lasts for 90 minutes instead of two or three minutes. Um, they don't eat from all the food groups. So often parents will say, he's never had a vegetable or never had a fruit or you know, only eats pouches or foods that he can manage by sort of mashing it between the tongue and the roof of the mouth, um, which would be a microwave bean burrito and a French toast mm. finger. So, um, so it's kind of this picture also of that attitude. You sense a, a real reluctance and avoidance. And the important thing is not just to say, well, this, this child is misbehaving and he's not eating, so we're going to eliminate that behavior and try to get them to eat bites and swallow. We need to know why is this child reluctant to eat? And, and generally, if we think about it, like anything that makes eating or digesting or pooping, you know, that process difficult or uncomfortable or painful, will lead children pretty typically to not want to eat. If it hurts or it's hard to do, I'm not going to eat. So if they have an oral motor problem, um, if, they, if it hurts to swallow, if they have food allergies or constipation or they've had surgeries around their mouth um, or they're on the spectrum and, and you know crunchy foods are actually uncomfortable or they've had coercive feeding. So some, some you know, I've had clients where the, the doctor said, do what you have to. So they did kind of clamp the baby's head or they did force feed out of fear or desperation or they've had an aspirating, which is a, you know, a choking episode that's scary. Um, so always trying to look at it, why is this happening? Why is my child struggling with eating? Um, so any, you know, always being sure to rule out medical things or oral motor. And that's where the doctors, you know, you, you gotta at least listen and take a history before you say, well, don't worry about it, you know? 
So sometimes it is a misperceived worry. You know, like the mom who said, I always feed him chicken nuggets. That was a worry she had around protein and his chewing skills that was actually unfounded. So a little support and education had her right back on track. But had we not done that education, um, she's much more likely to have a kid in two years who only eats chicken nuggets. So that's, that's kind of in a nutshell. Did that all cover it and make sense? Yeah, no, I think that makes um, a lot of sense. We'll get back to more of my interview with Katia in just a moment. But first, I want to quickly share with you some thoughts on this very topic from within our City Moms blog network sisterhood. Megan Metling is a writer for Dayton Moms blog in Ohio, and she recently wrote this post that I know will resonate, especially with those of you that are listening that have a picky eater yourself. Here it is in her own words. If you made a beautiful stir fry for dinner last night and your child ate half a piece of carrot and three bites of rice, this post is for you. If you scour Pinterest after the kids go to bed, frantically searching for new and creative ways to hide nutrients in your child's meals, this post is for you. If you're so tired of reading about parents whose kids eat things like bok choy or radicchio and your kid doesn't even really like sweet potato fries, this post is for you. If your child thinks that cheese crackers and Cheerios are food groups, this post is for you. Our almost two-year-old daughter Ellie used to be a pretty adventurous eater. Back in the days where she existed on purees and pouches, I could get her to eat just about any combination of goodness. Pear mixed with kiwi and peas? Done. Mango with oatmeal and butternut squash? She couldn't get enough. She ate things I can't even pronounce, like assay berry and amaranth. I remember smugly thinking, this is so great. She'll be one of those kids who never has to eat off the kids' menu and with whom we won't have to bargain. Three more bites of carrot and you can have a cookie. Boy, was I wrong. I'm not exactly sure when it happened, but our adventurous little eater became the kid who would exist solely on yogurt and peanut butter if we let her. The independence of, I can sit in a big girl chair and feed myself, seemed to coincide with a realization that she could now choose to eat all of her cheese, but feed all of her strawberries to the dog. The battle to find ways to get nutrients into her became a daily struggle. Those of you who are also blessed with a piggy toddler know the struggle. I've tried going back to purees and making my own pouches so that she can still feel independent. I've tried feeding her in shifts, so she has to eat all of the green beans before earning the granola bar. Last week, I tried hiding spinach in her mac and cheese. I literally watched her pull strings of spinach from her cheese-soaked mouth and throw them on the floor. How did she even know it was in there? When your toddler is a picky eater, you also know the guilt and shame and constant self-questioning. Did I not introduce her to enough flavors when she ate purees? I wonder if it's all that popcorn I ate when I was pregnant with her. What's more important, getting her to eat kale or getting calories into her? The struggle is present as you watch with hope as your toddler takes a bite just to spit it all back out in all its disgusting glory. You learn to stop ordering food for them off the kids' menu at the restaurant and instead pack a lunchbox filled with proven winners so as not to make a scene in public. You read all of the message boards with mamas whose kids eat green smoothies and Indian food, and you wonder what they're doing differently. You put peanut butter and raisins on celery, and you find a book about ants to read during snack time to make it fun and engaging. 
And in the end, you give in and you let him eat the chicken nuggets and the graham crackers for dinner because at least they ate something. The truth is this. Some toddlers are adventurous eaters. Some are not. We're all doing the best we can, whether the healthiest thing our kids ate this week was a cheese stick or Brussels sprouts. And so to all of you mamas who are also blessed with a picky eater, know that there's another mama out there whose toddler is sitting on the couch right now, rounding out her third package of fruit snacks. Fruit snacks are fruit, right? No, I, I'm joking, but Megan, thank you for sharing your heart and your words with us. I know I found myself smiling as I listened to you share your heart about your struggle with a picky eater. And truthfully, I felt normal as I was listening to you read those words. And so honestly, this motherhood journey is difficult in so many ways for so many of us. And so feeling normal is a breath of fresh air to so many of us. And so Megan, thank you for sharing. Okay, here's the rest of my conversation with Katia. Yeah, no, I think that makes um, a lot of sense uh, when it comes to, and yeah, I really appreciate you kind of distinguishing between the two because I think the term picky eating is pretty commonplace now. Like I feel like mm -hmm. for the most mm -hmm. part, most moms at least have Absolutely. one kid that they yeah. call a picky eater. And uh, especially if you have an extreme picky eater, oftentimes I'll be like, no, you don't understand. Like I don't, right. especially because right. I have another one that's more typical of a picky eater. Right. Uh, right. I. Right have a better or a different perspective on it. And so uh, yes. I definitely think that right. the, all of that is really, really insightful, especially yeah. covering kind mm -hmm. of that, those first few years uh, that that's developed uh, mm -hmm. with kiddos, because that's where most of our listeners are finding themselves in, in that, you know, infancy yeah. years. So yeah. Yeah. And it's such an opportunity to turn things around. The better, if you can get some help and support and education at nine months or 15 months, and I'm not saying that all, you know, all kids need feeding therapy. It might be a book or some videos or, um, you know, that, that getting just that support to get off, to get back on mm -hmm. track can make such a huge difference. And that's one thing that really upsets me when you have a five-year-old who's going in, say, for treatment, you know, without understanding the early struggles or, or, you know, you can, you, you're missing a huge part of the picture. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think really delving into and understanding the early experience is important. And I think a lot of parents of typical picky eatings think that they know and, and that what helped their children will, will quote unquote work for an extreme picky eater. So that's why I just tell parents like stay off, the, <laughs> stay off the comment boards because um, there's so much shame and blame around it. And like you said, it's, you know, three kids raised the same way in the same household, very different outcomes. Yes. Well, I, I feel like that um, is our, that, that's a wise word, regardless of what type of parenting thing you're going to the, mm. <laughs> to the internet for. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. I just feel like every kid is so unique and we as moms yes. want this easy checklist that everything's going to work out in the end if we do everything the same. And that's just not always right. the case. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's that's true. Good. And and I do want to just mention then there is one forum that I trust for picky or extreme picky eating. And it's it's called Mealtime Hostage. And that's on it's a private Facebook support group. 
And um, that one is a safe one to go to. And there are over 7,000 parents on that group with um, administrators. So parents are really looking, you know, looking for help on this. And um, that's one place that I would, I would, I would trust parents to read the comments. That's awesome. So, yeah. And we'll make sure um, to link to that in the show yeah, notes. Yeah. The other. So. Yeah. Thank you. And sorry to um, talk over yeah. the other thing. Um, this is such a complicated topic. I know we just have a short amount of time, but. Um, you know, you mentioned that every child is unique, and that's absolutely true. But what I also want to mention is that what's really exciting about the, you know, this responsive feeding model that I work in, is you don't actually have to have, you know, radically different ways of treating the kids in your family. That you can actually feed a typical picky eater, you know, all three of your girls with the same underlying strategies and that's such a relief because you know what it's like if you are trying to make one of your kids eat a no thank you bite but the other one doesn't have to that's not gonna fly right you know why doesn't she have to do this i don't have to do this and so um you know if you have one kid it's easy you can, right. you can kind of do what you need to yeah. do but um the wonderful thing is also that i think that the way we treat typical and extreme picky eating for the most part is kind of the same underlying principles with a few tweaks here and there. And so that um, I think is part of why I love the work I do. Mm -hmm. And so often I hear from families that I've worked with where they say, oh, you know, our, our extreme picky eater is doing better. They're less anxious at the table. They're coming to the table. We're having a better time. They're not yet branching out a ton because that takes time. But boy, the sibling is like now wolfing down lentils. And so the siblings who don't have necessarily the same challenges often really improve when the sort of changes are instituted at the table that just make it less of a battle zone. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that because, uh, and I know I mentioned the fact that I want our family mealtime and our table to be an enjoyable space for all of us to come to, mm -hmm. myself included. Like, I, I think we yeah. went through a period of time when it was just so stressful that it was anything but enjoyable for myself. And right. I have to right. imagine my kiddos felt the same. And so uh, when I'd love for you to speak to family meals uh, specifically, and sure. what are some practical things that you found that work um, in that space for picky eaters? Well, and, and so family meal times, you know, it's kind of this panacea now of, you know, your kid will be smarter and blah, 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 if they, if you have family <laughs> meals. And I think there is some truth to yeah. that. Um, but I think also the flip side is that like miserable family meals are kind of a red flag for developing, if, if you don't already have eating problems, for developing eating problems and eating disorders mm -hmm. later. So it's, it's linked with that. So I think that there is a protective factor of eating together. Um, and I think that, that um, so a couple things, it, it's really daunting when you're working or you have multiple kids, um, it like kind of toss out this image of what it, what it should be or what it has to be. You know, it doesn't have to be every night that you're cooking, um, you know, a, a, a protein and, and it looks like my plate and, and fruits and vegetables on one side, you know, it, start with what you can do, you know, and if that means paper plates, you know, I know I've worked with families who live in small city apartments and they don't really have um, space or a big enough table to sort of serve family styles. So we might tweak it or they might use smaller bowls and go back and forth, or they might have a bookshelf near the table where they're putting the bowls. But the, I think the first step 
and that can make the most difference is to let children as they're able to serve themselves at mealtimes. Mm -hmm. So this is a little extra work, but you putting, um, you know, putting a serving bowl um, in the middle of the table and always having something that every child can eat. So let's say your eight-year-old has a list of 10 things. Something from that list of 10 accepted foods needs to show up on the table. And it might look weird to have a bowl of pretzels next to, you know, the, the takeout rotisserie chicken and, you know, your baby carrots or whatever it is. But, but trying to have something at the table, even if it's bread or rice um, or, you know, bananas, whatever it is that every child can eat. Now, for a lot of kids, as soon as you pre-plate their meal right? You're, you know, this, I'm going to put my, what I want them to eat. As soon as you set that down in front of them, the battles have begun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so particularly with extreme picky eating where there's anxiety, anxiety kills appetite. And if there's a, a child who's not eating enough amount where we're worried about weight gain, we want to do everything we can to decrease anxiety at eating time. And so, and actually there's a fantastic blog that I'll get you called um, With Mealtime Hostage, where the quote said, changing the way food was served just made a huge difference. So going from pre-plating to letting children serve themselves. And it might be a two-year-old letting them grab a corn muffin and put it on their plate. Um, so it's that autonomy, it's that sense of a child having control of what goes on their plate. Um, that can be a huge difference. Now, in some therapies, they'll make you put something on their plate that you want them to get used to, or they'll make the child poke it or lick it or kiss it. And for some children, that sends their anxiety skyrocketing. And if that's the case, I tell them not to do it. You know, don't do it then at mealtimes. Um, and if you can imagine, anytime as a parent that you can empathize with your child, I think it makes a huge difference. So. Put it this way, like if every time you sat down to a meal and, you know, everyone closed their eyes, you know, whatever you're doing, walking or walking your stroller, yeah. or, you know, washing the dishes, whatever you're doing, close your eyes and think of a food that you can't stand, you know, your least favorite food in the world. And for me, it would probably be oysters. I've never touched them. <laughs> I, I just, I don't yeah. know why. So let's say now every time you sit down to a meal, there's a little pile of your least favorite food on your plate and it's an oyster and even if you don't have to eat it even if all you're supposed to do is poke it with your finger or lick it or something or even just smelling it or seeing it on your plate what would that do to your appetite you know might you get mad might your appetite drop might you you know not want to be at the table might you not eat and then sneak back 45 minutes later to get a granola bar because now your anxiety level has decreased so I think the number one tip that helps with picky eating both across the spectrum is allowing children to serve themselves. So family style meals is kind of the number one thing. Yeah, I, I love that suggestion because that, that's in your book as well. And I, yeah, I really love that suggestion and having something on the table that even my extreme picky eater would be able to help herself too. So um, very good suggestion. Right. Okay, what's the second right. thing I interrupted, yeah. sorry. Well, the other thing I wanted, no, it's all right. The other thing I wanted to mention is the expectations going in. So if you have an extreme pick eater or pick eater, I would recommend reading more before you jump in because if you do this in the beginning, they're not gonna take different foods. They're only gonna take their favorite food for a little while because they're learning to trust and have that control and autonomy. And for some kids, it might be three days before they start branching out. For other kids, it might be three weeks. Mm -hmm. 
if you're dealing with low appetite, once the anxiety goes down, often the volume of their favorite foods as how much they're eating will increase pretty quickly. But I find that a lot of parents, if they just read one article or listen to one podcast and then kind of jump off the cliff and they're not really understanding, well, what do I do when this happens or what about this? That's why that mealtime hostage support group is so wonderful or our book, because then you you know what to do when it, they aren't suddenly eating broccoli on day three, which they most likely right. won't. So I just wanted to put that caveat in that if you jump into this and three days later say, it's not working, um, you know, learning more could be very helpful. Yeah. Um, okay, so number two in terms of helping with picky eating, it's really about routine and, and um, not sort of allowing the grazing to happen all day. Because if they show up at the table and they've always got something in their bellies, whether it's, you know, kale chips or a couple of goldfish crackers or some sips of Pediasure, they're much less likely to eat well at the table. So pretty much across the board for feeding specialists and, and folks doing my work, really trying to have children eat about every two to four hours, depending. You know, if they're mm -hmm. asleep, you're not going to wake them up because it's been three hours. So you let them sleep. You have a nice big, um, you know, balanced snack when they wake up. And then two to three hours later, roughly, you plan to eat again. Sure. So that routine is incredibly important. So they're not walking around the house or the apartment, you know, sucking on um, veggie pouches or the, you know, the fruit pouches because that can really impact appetite. So yeah. the routine and serving meals family style um, are, are really two of the things I think that, that can make the most difference. And then when you're at the table, focusing on enjoying each other's company. And, you know, and if you have two 18-month-old twins, there's not a whole lot of you know, <laughs> a discussion or, you know, how was your day? Um, so that all looks different as the kids get older. But as much as possible, avoiding, you know, haranguing about who's eating how much of what. Just, just ignore what they're eating or pretend to, you know, yes. so that you're not sort of saying, why don't you have another bite of that? Why don't you eat it? Why don't you just try that? Why don't you smell it? Mommy loves it. It smells really good. Don't you think it smells good? Because that, when a kid is reluctant to eat, that all it does is make them more resistant. So really yeah. try hard to try to talk or think about anything but what or how much they're eating, even if you keep track afterwards. Yes. Yeah, no, that is so good. I, I've got two go-to questions that our family yeah. discusses at the table if we if yeah. conversation is conversation is lacking, which it very rarely does, but if conversation's <laughs> lacking, um, just for what it's worth, I figured this might be helpful to some listeners that are looking for some stuff. I always ask everyone, what did you do that was kind for someone else today? Uh, because I think people and kids included need to be aware of how they're treating other people and they should be able to come to the table every night with an example of something kind that they did for someone. So that's one it. of our discussion questions. The second mm -hmm. one is what's something new that you learned today? And mm -hmm. my husband and I, I have to participate because I do think that there's always something new that we can learn and share with each other. And yes. so yeah. I know that that's not feeding themed by any means, but for no, us, those is. two questions have helped around the table. It absolutely is. And, you know, we used to go around the table and say, what was the favorite, what was some favorite part of your day? And I, I mean, it like kind of melted my heart when at the time my five-year-old would say, right now, dinner. <laughs> and yes. Like, oh, <laughs> you know, yes. that, 
that you know is so um, it's so wonderful when people actually want to be at the table. Yeah. And so often parents of picky or extreme picking say, you know what? I feel like my only choice is to fight over every bite, uh, you know, or bribe with video game time or reward or whatever it is, sticker charts, or to give up and actually enjoy each other and then just let them eat chicken nuggets. But there really is a third option um, that helps everyone enjoy each other and connect. Um, and then also that helps children in terms of that, that journey of becoming eating competent. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I would say is for parents to kind of not focus on each meal in terms of nutrition, but to think more over like a whole day or even a week, because especially preschoolers, the way typical healthy preschoolers eat looks bonkers, right? They're <laughs> going to eat, you know, three scrambled eggs, one meal, and then they'll lick a blueberry three hours later and say, I'm done. And the, the impulse of parents is to say, well, no, no, that's not enough. You can't just eat half a graham cracker. You need to eat. And this is very typical where we try to get them to eat a few more bites um, or have a little bit more. But when we do that, um, over time, we can actually bury those skills that children are born with to trust their bodies to know how much to eat. So we want to yeah. try to get away from, you know, just two more bites or finish your chicken, then you can have. So really children have, if we put out, you know, balanced foods overall in front of them, the, um, there's a lot of skill and ability there that we can foster. And hmm. so, and if we know that it's normal, and I take my finger and I like, you know, I go up and down like a, like a crazy mountain and lots one meal and a little bit the next. And sometimes kids go through these growth spurts where for three or four days they eat a ton and then they don't eat very much for two or three days. Um, and so also understanding that the appetites of young children appears very erratic. And we just, if we know that in another two hours we can offer them food again, they'll be okay. You know, mm. they don't have to have a protein, a fruit, a vegetable at every meal. They're going to be fine. And let's say you're out playing. I mean, this is the other scenario. Routine can really rescue you. And, you know, if we were out like at a water park and I would actually say, okay, you know, it's been about three hours. Let's sit down. Here's some clementines, some crackers, some whipped cream juice, whatever it was that I packed along. So this is some effort too, or a milk box and a granola bar, whatever it is. Now, if they are so into the activity and they don't eat much, then yeah, I'm going to move dinner up an hour and, and that's okay. There's flexibility. Um, yeah. But I think for the most part, sticking to a routine is just so helpful in terms of helping their bodies, you know, regulate and that if they don't eat much, that one meal they can make up for it the next. And that's very typical. Sure. Uh, well, Katya, this has been incredibly helpful and insightful. Good. And I think we probably could talk for another hour about the topic. I know. And I know. I'm I sure feel like so much more I want to share. <laughs> I know. Well, we might have to have a part two because <laughs> I've be got fun. questions and I know listeners have questions, but uh, you mentioned a number of different resources and I want to make sure that our listeners also uh, have access to uh your books. And so we'll make sure that all of that is linked to in our show notes. And so if you're listening Perfect. and you're interested in reading more about this topic, and I love that you mentioned, like, don't just read one blog post about the topic. Right. <laughs> like there's a right. lot, especially with right. extreme picky eating, yes. there's a lot to yes. know before mm -hmm. you can really handle yeah. the situation well. And so yep. uh, we'll this make sure people like, yeah, 
sorry, it's not like my one, here's your the secret and now go forth. It's really kind of a whole philosophy. And some of your listeners though will make a few changes and see huge improvements and, and uh -huh. really kind of take off running and others will need more support. And that's just knowing that I think is important. Yes, for sure. Well, uh, thanks again for joining me today. And I really appreciated our conversation. Me too. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of Just Add Sprinkles Celebrating Motherhood. If you're a mom of a picky eater like me, I hope you found some useful information in this episode. A special thank you to our guest, Dr. Katia Roel. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. The book that she co-authored is called Helping Your Child with Extreme Picky Eating, and their website is extremepickyeating.com. Their book is available on Amazon or where books are sold, so make sure to pick up your copy if you think that would be a good resource for you. Next time on Just Add Sprinkles, we're talking about a serious topic of infertility. It's such a tough topic for so many moms, and we'll hear from some moms who've dealt with it and are dealing with infertility themselves. Thanks for joining us today, and remember mom, you are doing an awesome job. Keep it up, and don't forget to just add sprinkles.